Hi everyone. Today you're going to meet Peter Birkin. Our episode is split up into two different parts, part one and part two. Part two will air this Thursday. In part one, Peter talks about how he was diagnosed with schizophrenia, became bipolar. And he also talks about healing our schools and healing bullying. In part two, we speak about limiting beliefs and money beliefs and about the world in general. He shares with us the four A's formula that he's created and really how he wants to abolish limiting beliefs. He talks about how we can change schools and how we can change humanity. Be sure to catch both episodes. Have you ever experienced something so crippling in your life that has made you feel broken? I have. Are you someone who has a giving heart but is struggling to feel good themselves? Are you consistently putting your needs aside to take care of everyone else? If so, you're not alone. Giving starts with giving to yourself so that you are able to give of yourself to other people. Isn't it time you took back control and discovered what makes you tick? Join me in my journey and find out how you can feel better about yourself, live your best life, and share that with others. Thinking of yourself, it doesn't make you selfish. It makes you brave. I'm Nelia, and this is the Giving Starts With You podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Giving Starts With You podcast. I'm your host, Nelia Hutt, and I'm so happy that you guys have joined me here for another episode. I've been hearing from some of the listeners and, um, you know, when I hear that the show is impacting, impacting you, it makes all of this worth it. And that's why I'm doing it in the first place. So thank you so much. And I appreciate all your comments and your support. Today, I'm super excited. I have a new friend here. His name is Peter Birkin. He's from Rochester, New York. Hi, Peter. How are you? Nelia, great. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. Thanks for coming on. I, you know, I'm so excited for our chat today. So Peter um, helps schools increase attendance and graduation rates while decreasing suspensions and bullying. I love this. And his business is Message to Billions. So I appreciate all the work that you're doing. This is fantastic. Thank you, Nelia. I love that mission statement and what you're doing. So were you yourself a victim of bullying? Yes, it started at home. My parents did the best they could with what they knew about parenting. But at times they did the hitting and caused trauma on me that way. So it did start at home and then it went to playgrounds and then school as well. So it kind of followed me. That angers me, you know, because it's all about control. You know, it's more about the people that do the bullying than it is about us. But that's not what we believe when it's happening, right? Victimized, for sure. Yeah. So I understand um, that you have been diagnosed with schizophrenia. Yes. Saying bipolar as well. Yes, it's kind of shifted into bipolar, yes. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about how, um, you know, the time that you were diagnosed and maybe how that plays a part in what you want to do now? Great. In 1989, I was, I had a nervous breakdown. I lost a baby in college. It was my college sweetheart. 
and I was finishing up student teaching after lacrosse season, all that stress brought me where I was having panic attacks, brought to the emergency department to check my heart, which was strong. It was just really panic. They didn't know too much about it back then. So my family was, couldn't quite understand. So I ended up going back to the hospital a second time. This time they admitted me into the psych ward and I, I was in there for three months. Because of the anxiety? Just from the anxiety, yes, that stress. And then they put me on 27 pills a day. That included a sleeping pill at night. So it was just like baffling. I don't understand. So like today, in today's world, if we went to the emergency room, with panic attack, they would kind of have the tools to deal with it. They wouldn't automatically send you from one to the other. So was there more than that or was it just the panic and they didn't know what to do? It was the panic and I think it was the decade where institutionalization was going on. And if they had you, you had the insurance, you could cover it by the bill wise. They'd love to have you, I thought. Yeah. And that's institutionalization back then, sure. I was playing three sports in high school and then I played college lacrosse at a very high level. All that stress though, and not being able to verbalize anything that night, especially after not sleeping and eating for five straight days, that brought a lot of anxiety to me. Wow, that's a long well, time. Yeah, but if I would have just been able to talk to a therapist or a coach or a social worker, I probably could have kept from getting to that point of breakdown. They call it a breakdown, but it was like, I was tired. Nelly, tired, I needed a break. My brain needed a break. Of course. And you know, there's two parts to that. Like when you're saying, if you could talk to somebody, there's two parts. One is, are people really available, you know, to talk to? And the other part is sometimes when you're, like I found in my situation, when you're in that place of panic and anxiety and you think you're dying and you don't know what's happening in your body and all this stuff, sometimes you're too afraid to reach out too. So I think there's a little bit of both depending on your situation. But did you think that you were ready to talk and maybe there just wasn't anybody there? I tried to verbalize, but I couldn't even get a word out of my mouth. But the thing is, I... When I got out, I actually went back to the hospital a second time. That was when I was really sick, Nelia. What happened was I was going, playing lacrosse, and I literally stopped running. I went up to the coach. This was 16 months later without any medicine in me. went up to the coach, and I said, Coach, I cannot run. He said, Burke, go sit on the couch. Laid down on the couch. Next thing you know, the the ambulance came, took me away. I just found out in 2018, they had to rush me to the hospital. And I spent another three months at an institution. This time I was really sick. And the thing is, they really need to keep me for three months when all I had to do is have my blood work stabilized to be safe enough to be able to be released. So there's a question there. Oh, absolutely. I, yeah. So. Absolutely. Were you angry when you were in there because of that? No, not not at all. I didn't see the light of day, but I just took it one day at a time. Yeah, because today I don't think that that would happen that way. You know, times change, right? Yeah, I'm sorry that you had to go through that and they put you on all those pills. Well, the second time I was only, I was released with on one pill. And then I learned some secrets after I was released in 91. I learned one day with my mom 
having square meals and bonbons on the couch watching TV all day that I needed structure in my day. Aww. So I had, when I was released, I was told I could do day treatment program. So I said to my mom, I'm like, I got to start day treatment. I love you dearly. I need structure. I need to have to be able to talk through my problems because my girlfriend stopped dating me because of the second time I got sick, which was a big loss for me. That was the love of my life. So between the structure of day treatment, my sister comes up to me and goes, Peter, why don't you coach football? I'm like, I can coach football? So that I, I was released in July, started coaching football in August. Being in service of those seventh and eighth grade football players, those boys helped heal me. So what happened was between the structure and the healing, I started filling out teacher applications. By just before Christmas, I did my first day of subbing in rural Rochester, New York. And I had a whole career in teaching. But the, the thing was structure, service, and growth, being in those with therapists and group work. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that you were the person you wanted there for you when you were that age. You know, you were for those boys what you needed at that time. That's that's beautiful. Thank you. So how did that make you feel? How did you feel about yourself? Like, like there's a turning point? Yeah, I, I literally thought that there was more to it because I already started getting disability income. The system was ready to chalk me up as schizophrenic, not be able to do anything after I have a college degree. And I was just like, this is not going to be my life. It's not going to be my whole life. So it was that football and structure. It was in day treatment that really structure healed me. So, and I feel healed. I mean, I really do feel healed. I just think it was just like between needing to talk to someone December of 89 and May of 91, I just needed to work through and talk about my stuff to get it off my, my mind and just verbalize it. So, yeah. Yeah. Like avoidance is the worst thing we can do. Like sometimes we don't talk about things because we're not able to, like you said, you couldn't find the word, like you couldn't do it. Right. And then sometimes we do it to protect ourselves and we figure, well, if I ignore how I'm feeling and keep going every day, every day, every day, maybe I won't feel so bad or maybe I'll forget. And that's a different part of it. In your case, it sounds more like you just, you couldn't, you just couldn't, you know, you couldn't find the words, right? But when you avoid something for so long, it just causes so much more agony and problems, you know? And that is something that I talk about a lot because I did that for 10 years and I suppressed and suppressed and suppressed. And for me, it was a protection mechanism, but it did the opposite and it just blew up. You know, it's so tough. It's so tough. So how long have you been coaching now? Well, life coaching, I've been doing that since 2012. Fabulous. Personal life coach, yeah. And your football career, your football coach career. <laughs> well, I did that for two years. I coached lacrosse for probably better than 10 years. And then I also coached my son's basketball and soccer team. So I was able to give back for my son, who's 17 years old, too. So I'm glad that somebody suggested that to you because that offered discipline, structure, and it also takes the pressure off of you 
like the, not the pressure, but it gives you something else to think about than all the stuff you're feeling, right? Like it helps having a distraction. It really does help. And over those years, imagine like you've helped hundreds of people. I think so. Yes. You know, I taught for 22 years too. So yeah, like in that group of athletes or even anybody that you've come across that you seem like very easy to talk to. So anybody that would have come to you maybe to, to talk about something, you know, yeah, you don't know what their home life is like. Maybe they had a home life where they couldn't speak. You know, it's like with COVID now with all the kids home, you know, I do think what if they live in a home that's abusive and they, you know, school was their way out. So you think of those things, right? So the fact that, you know, you got to think, even if you think of one person that you might've been able to help and you might've been the only person that they could reach out to, you don't know how much impact you have along the lines and throughout their life, just because you were there. You don't see that, you know, cause they don't come back 10 years later and say, Hey coach, you know, you really helped me do this. You, you just don't know. It can be thankless, which when you're young, how many kids go up to their teacher and say, thank you so much. It should be done more, but it's not. But I like to reframe what you said, cause I have a story about if we could save one child. I was at one of the city schools here in Rochester, New York. And in front of 150 staff, that was all staff, teachers, and administrators, one of the teachers got up and said, if I could save one child. And I raised my hand, I stood up, and then did a rebuttal to that. And I said, if I lose one child, if I even lose one child, I will be very sad and hurt by it. So I I kind of wanted to reframe and shift the idea because it's a limiting belief. I believe to think that we're only saving one kid when we're saving hundreds of kids. And like your podcast is saving, not just reaching out to one, but many. That's why. Oh, I know. So I'm glad. Thank you. I love that. What you said is so powerful because the way that I said it and most people say it, you know, if I could help one person, but yeah, the goal is for more than that, right? The goal is, you know, I just, I say it because, you know, if that one person is your mother or your brother or your daughter or whoever, that life is enough. A whole life's work is enough to help one person. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if I'm explaining it properly, but I so love what you just said. Oh my God, you need to brand that because... I've never heard it said that way. And I think you're absolutely right. Well, it's a limiting belief though to Nelia, because we are what we were told values and belief wise growing up. And if we hear something enough and it becomes our habitual way of thinking, it's not that it's just, we were, it's, I could go on and on story after story of how that works from money beliefs to what we just discussed a moment ago too. Yeah, even something simple as, you know, your child's having a hard time at school and doing their homework and you're like, oh, you're so stupid. Why can't you figure that out? You know, and when they hear that, it's like, oh, it's terrible because then a child who was innocent and never thought of themselves that way now believes this is what they are. You know, something they never would have thought of before now is part of them and part of an identity. And even though it took 30 seconds for somebody to say that, it could take 30 years to get rid of it. 
So it's so emotionally abusive as well, right? Like there's so many things. I totally agree with you. It could be anything. Yeah. Like if somebody's misbehaving and we say, oh, you're, you're bad, you know, why don't you say instead you're doing a bad thing, but not that the person itself is bad. There's a difference. Maybe do an empowered question too, Nellie, by saying, what would be a better choice in this circumstance right now? So instead of labeling it, you know, labeling it's not, that's just judgment that we, I think even as a parent or teacher, don't really have a right to do. It's more like, what's the lesson to learn from it? Yeah, I love that. And, you know, life is tough. Like both parents are working and they're grinding to make ends meet and the kids are busy and people are... You know, people are stressed everywhere, especially I find in these wealthy countries like we live in. They're so stressed and it's so easy to put our pressures on our children and on teenagers. And, you know, and I'm just as guilty as that of that, you know, and I'm hoping that I'm going to learn more and more every day. But I think you couldn't have picked coming from the background and the things that you went through. I don't think you could have picked a better way to give back. Thank you. I agree. That's <laughs> fantastic. I actually developed four A's to overcome beliefs, limiting beliefs. Could I share that with your oh, audience? Oh, I would love that. Thank you so much. Great. The first A is acknowledge and become aware that you have a limiting belief. So really take an assessment of what is going on that's holding you back from a miss money belief, you know, the things I mentioned before. The second thing is angle. Oh, it's four A's, like the A's in a report card that everyone's supposed to get A's in school, right? Angle would be to look at every different angle and perspective of why this could have happened. My dad hit me because he was stressed out at work. Or my dad hit me because I did something so bad and I was so bad, 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 bad. He had to hit me to discipline me. So look at every angle. The third A is abolish. Abolish meaning to get rid of it. It's not serving me. Let it go and move on. Because now as an adult or once you acknowledge this kind of stuff, you have a right to let go of beliefs that are not serving you. So definitely take an inventory of what's serving you and what's not serving you. And then the last one is arsenal. What are your tools, skills, techniques, strategies to overcome this bad programming because all it is is a bad program so really what you're talking about is neuroscience now and changing the neural pathways in your brain and the firing and the rewiring and the firing of your brain to make it healthy again because we could restore ourselves as long as we swap out the program in our brains the bad program so how does somebody who is new to this what is the very, very first and second step that they can do that's simple enough to follow, not in a complicated way, and that's small enough that they can see the progress, you know? Because sometimes when something sounds so big that people don't know where to start and they just don't start. Right. To, yes, not to take it personally and then take like an inventory of all the, all the ideas that could have happened to to make me a victim is the result i'll give you i'll do money beliefs real quick if that helps okay great so let's say we google what are the hundred most 
biggest excuses when it comes to limiting beliefs around money. So I'd Google that. And then I would go down an inventory of the list and say, okay, check off what I believe. So money does not grow on, and then it's the root of all. And then you'll find out that you actually can fill in the blanks on a lot of things. Those are your beliefs. So once you acknowledge and become aware that you have these limited beliefs around money, you can say money is made of trees or reframe it and say, it's not, you know, so things like that and make it a, and just take inventory, make it into a checklist where you could cross it off the list and, and let it go. And then just have peace that you can change the way you program yourself based on. So that would be the first thing I would do. First thing I would do is figure out what are my limiting beliefs around money? I love that you said money is made from trees because I never thought of that either, but it so is, right? right. It's just, I love that. And it's like, so for those people who are listening who don't know what a limited belief even is, what would be an easy definition of that? Assumptions, interpretations, limiting beliefs, and your inner critic, the gremlin. So these are things most of the time that we're taught by our parents, our teachers, because I don't think we're born knowing all this stuff. We're just based on our experiences and based on people um, that are, um, you know, teaching us, right? And then we need to not always believe what we're told and maybe take a step back and, and question why do you believe them or maybe question why you don't, right? That is right. Yeah, I that love that because right. normally we just go through life and, you know, well, just because it is, I don't know why, you know, I don't know why. That's just, that's just how it always has been. That's what I learned. Well, I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. Well, I vote all Democrat. I vote all Republican. No, you vote who you want to vote for because you like what they do versus what your parents programmed you to, to have an affiliation to one branch of government versus another and you can another. use this correct me if i'm wrong but you can use this across the board like this could be you know well i don't like this type of person or i don't like this person of this color or i don't like it's so many things that run the world you know right. Like rich people are better than poor people. Like all these assumptions, you know, like some of the richest people that I've met have nothing. You know, you have to question yourself, right? You have to question why. It's interesting. Right. Kids hate that. Well, yeah. Because <laughs> it's like, well, I don't like strawberries. Well, why? Because I just don't. Like you've never tried them, but right? Something right in a simple way, I guess, to explain for somebody who's never heard that term before. I love that. So tell me again, the first one is acknowledge. Acknowledge or just become aware that you have a limiting belief. So a double A, if you will. And the next one is angle. You look at every angle and possibility of why that came up. You know, for me and my family, my family and I, we roll pennies on Sunday just to buy donuts. First of all, who has just pennies? You know, penny save, penny earn. You have so many money beliefs you can go with that. But why is a grown family rolling pennies? And why are we having donuts first thing in the morning anyway? I mean, traditions and values and beliefs, right? I love it. So.
and then abolish, I use that harsh word. I use that strong word, abolish. You know, you think of abolish slavery. You think of just, you need to tackle this. You need to say, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to zap this from my brain. The thing does not serve me. And I'm going to replace it with things that are going to empower me to be of service to me and for humanity too. You know, you mentioned people, a lot of money, not being happy. What do you do? Well, you give more of it away. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And I found one of the ways that I've created more self-love for myself is the more I gave, the more I felt, you know, and I think, I think it should be mandatory. I think schools should teach that, but. I would love to teach one more thing. If, oh, I don't of know course. The stage okay. is yours. The stage is yours. Thank you. Relationship-wise, the first key to any relationship is setting boundaries. You're right. With Whether it's with anyone, boyfriend, girlfriend, children, and parents, boss, anything. Yeah, you can't expect everybody to know what you're thinking. You can't expect you, you need to set up really defined boundaries. Do you know so how, sorry. A good space. Uh-huh. Do, you know Go how, do you know how many husbands now are, are listening to this and going, Oh, they're like, thank you. Cause my wife keeps thinking I'm supposed to guess what she's thinking. You know, I'm supposed to know. So I appreciate that. Yeah. People can't read your mind. All right. All right. So I do some relationship coaching as well. And what I do is besides that, you got to know what your triggers are. You got to, you got to define, you got to go in an inventory, even on that to find out what sets me off. And I've done that. I I used to be a product of domestic violence because hurt people hurt people. So when I was married to my first wife, I would do domestic violence. I actually did it. My wife, luckily, it was just posture, Nelia. It wasn't, you no, know, it was a neck, but it wasn't a squeeze. Wow. It was hair, but it wasn't a pull. But I also wanted to find another thing that goes on with anger because I was programmed to be angry with sports and being hit and all that stuff and being threatened and, at schools. And then also, as a teacher, I was threatened. Is that there's a cycle of anger, a circle of anger. And if you're in the moment, you can literally black out. And I don't know if your audience knows that. And what blackout is, it's like when you're drinking and you black out, you don't remember. I had a student tell me, hey, Mr. Birkin, I black out when I fight. And I was like, what do you mean by that? He goes, I fight and peep. my friends tell me I fought after I fought. I'm like, what? So I let him teach the whole class that day that that was an actual thing that happens. So that Monday, I started anger management classes just for my own self-development because I was not sure if I've ever blacked out. I knew I would hourly bully, but I didn't know if I ever blacked out. A few years ago, I found out I actually blacked out with my sister. She never told me. She kept it a secret. 
This was 20 years ago. She kept this a secret. I found out probably about three years ago after I took anger management. I go, when were you going to get around to tell me that I had you by your throat and I squeezed it? I need to know that. You know, it's kind of like a family saying, uh, we, we don't tell secrets outside the house. It's like, you have to tell people stuff. You have to let people heal from the, the stories that are, that are going on. Yeah. Being open, yeah. Being open. It's interesting because then you don't break the cycle, you know? I have heard of, of people say that before, that they get so angry to the point. It's very difficult for me to understand, but it happens. But just because I'm not, you know, I haven't done it myself, but but they get so angry, um, yeah, that they just lose consciousness. And it's like what they're doing is not even, like they don't remember, they don't know that they're doing it. They're just completely disassociated, right? Well, it's physiology. No, it's... Cortisol and adrenaline comes into your system at the same time. And when it does, if you have a knife on you, you could have a knife fight. If it happens with a gun in your hand, there's a murder there. But when you go to court, they don't bring up blackouts. No. And I'm sure a lot of murders happen that way. No. And if you don't acknowledge and aware that you have this type of anger in you, it could surface. So you don't know your triggers, and that's why boundaries and triggers are the key. Because, for instance, when I was married a second time, my wife would follow me into the room after I was, we would have a disagreement. That's like being caged and, and put into a corner. You got you to gotta have a boundary ahead of time, which I didn't have with my second wife. Thank God I never touched my wife, the second wife because I went to anger management and learned things and got the skills, the strategies, the techniques, and, and all those good things, the tools to be healthy instead of being. I'm glad you did that too. Cause when somebody's at you like that, it's, it instigates all these emotions, right? And you just want to like burst. So without that training, who knows, right? As a teacher, I think it was really insightful and really smart of you when that student said that to you to then have him teach it in front of the class. I think that was brilliant because if he did it, how many other students in that classroom would, you know, it's things like that. That's why we need to talk about things, you know, and not be ashamed and embarrassed. Like that's in the past, like get over yourself. You know, we all have our stories. We all have our things and we all have our struggles. And I think the more we talk about it, the more we're going to see we're just like everybody else. You know, we're not alone in these things. Right. And I use the mantra, uncomfortable conversations have to become comfortable. That's how we're going to heal. And then I use, and this is going to be in my book because I'm writing a book as well. By the way, Brad, writing books. Yeah. I use the four eyes like the eyes in my head. I used to be called four eyes, four eyes all the time. So it's survive, strive, drive, and thrive. Oh, I love it. The four eyes like the eyes in my head. The eyes in my head. I can't even say it. I heard it over and over again. Oh, I got a funny story. Here's a here's a limiting belief that I grew up with. Peter, Peter, pumpkin eater, had a wife and couldn't keep her. I couldn't keep two boys now, now because I got programmed. And you don't know when this stuff is going to surface. I don't mean to laugh, but that's pretty funny. Oh, I hear you. I hear you. So... 
So now what I do is I make a joke of it. I moved on and I healed from that programming because it was just a belief that wasn't serving me. But it, it is hard to let it go. You need to do it. But how does somebody start to let something like that go? I love that. That's hard. It's doable. Oh, it's so doable. Doable. Because me and you sound like we've seen both sides and it's so worth the, you know, the work and figuring it out. But if you have it and you're still in that place where you're stuck and you, you can't let it go. I don't know. What, what do we say to these people? Good question. What I would say to them is we're going to all have incidents in our life, realizations in our life that can change and pivot your world. And what you have to do, and this is one exercise I learned from Dean Graziosi and Tony Robbins, is that project the future of having this years of being sad and depressed and negative outlook on life and just go, do I really want to feel this way when I'm 80 years old and I'm dying? You know, when you make a realization that I don't want to feel this way when I just went through a whole lifetime and I didn't go to, to get the successes I, I thought I could when I was before this incident happened. So what we do is, because this is, this is my mastermind models after Tony Robbins, which I'd like to offer to your audience by the time we end of the show. Anyone that, if you don't mind me saying now. No, absolutely. That, Thank you so much welcome i was going to offer to your audience anyone that would like a 15 minute free coaching session i would love to to give you that coaching session or i'd like to invite you to a mastermind group of mine that what we do is we use tony robbins and dean graciosi's model of the mastermind by the way they charge about two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year to be in their mastermind <laughs> i have intellectual rights to use their stuff in my mastermind and it's working out very well oh i would and like to the, take you up on that oh love to have you and you know one of the things we're taught and i treat all my mastermind guests to this is called the success loop and the success loop will literally change your whole world just that one lesson i could teach in a, in a mastermind and trust me what I do too is I make sure that everyone gets the materials in the mastermind so they can work through the exercise while we have the mastermind. It's, it's very lovely. And the model I know about, because I'm a passion test facilitator, I was trained by Janet Bratwood, is that four or more people in a mastermind together, everyone achieves miracles. I love that. And you know, like you said, like, Time passes anyways, you know, when you talked about letting things go and you're like, you were talking ahead too. if we can go back just for a second, like when you were talking about at 80 years old and you look back, like, do you really, you know, you know what I like to do too, is to let letting things go is I write a letter to myself as a young girl and I write things like, it's okay. It's not your fault. You're just a child, stuff like that. And then I write a letter like 30 years from now in the future of what I want my life to look like and where I'm at, you know, and I read those things and I have a good cry and then I see where I'm at. Right. And then I'm like, yeah, if you can't 
think of what you want it to be like your life. You can't, you won't know what to let go of, what to keep. It's like you're making a recipe, right? And I just thought of this right now. But if you're making a recipe, you know, you're, I don't know, you're making some, some macaroni thing. I don't know. (laughs) And you're not going to go put marshmallows in it, right? So you're going to, you have a list of things in your life. It's very easy to say, yeah, I don't want to feel that. Throw it out, write it down, burn it. I don't know. Think of a way that you can, that you can do it. You know, when we talk about letting go and you're talking about letting go of things, you have to figure out what works for you. Some people like to write it down and burn it. Some people like me like to write about it because I find writing is very healing. Some people like to talk about it, you know, whatever your way is, you need to go through that step, right? And thank you so much for offering that because yeah, I want to be a part of that group, your mastermind group. Thank you. And even for the 15 minute coaching call, I think that's fabulous. I think people should take you up on it. That's great. Now, just to give you a value, because it would be one session of each, the mastermind is, that's a $250 value. And my coaching is easily $100 for 15 minutes. Wow. It's value. And then the other thing is, oh, if I could, I can, because of relationships, I love making sure people are healthy. If it's a parent to a child, to a a spouse, to another spouse, there's, you know, we say that men are from Mars, you know, John Gray, women are from, I don't agree with that. I, I love John. I was actually on a live training with John not too long ago. I think when we plant a seed in people's heads that we're different, when we're all human beings, we're going to have this limiting belief that we are, and I don't think we are. So what I think is we men have to learn to listen better. Okay. And Here's three skills I love to do. For men, we have to acknowledge and validate the feelings of our loved one. So sometimes not trying to give advice could be the good thing. And say for clarification purposes, because, and here's a hint to the ladies too, men can only process so much and they want to interject. So they get kind of like sidetracked. They want to fix it. And they want to fix they're in a fix it mode correct so so interjecting or or a spouse saying something like can i give you feedback and get permission ask them permission from the spouse and say do you mind if i give you permission and then she could easily say i just need you to listen right now Please yeah, just yeah. Let me and if they say no don't take it personally and that's the boundaries you set up nelia you set up all the boundaries ahead of time can I give you a scenario on the boundaries? Because this is I love cool. that you're giving examples because it really makes things understandable. Great. And, and I want to also say the third skill I love is reframe. Acknowledge, validate, and reframe. So for instance, if someone's having a bad day, just ask them a question like, how can you, what would be another way to look at that? Or, you know, not to belittle or to minimize it well more like what's the lesson you can learn from that experience today and you can do that with your child too my examples of boundaries and relationship i his his, all your audience i'm assuming has watched brady bunch at some point so i literally with my son especially because his mom and i weren't together and i was a single parent we would have a brady bunch meeting in the living room 
which would give us an opportunity to talk and set boundaries, which can happen in a relationship too. You have to set boundaries. So here's a boundary. Anytime you get heightened where you feel like you notice things, like my triggers going off, you say a code word to yourself or even out loud. So for me, it'd be like Mountain Dew or Pepsi. No, just kidding. I would use something like Mountain. And then when I hear Mountain and my partner hears Mountain, that means I have to go and get away from the situation. Know that I'm in a loving space and I'll get back to that point at the same time I needed a break. And then one thing you could do ahead of time in the boundaries is to set up all the skills that you would use, the tools you would use when that occurred, where there was a heightened awareness that it's not going well. Yeah, that's great because if you don't have them already thought out, you're not going to think of it at that moment when you need to escape, right? When you've had enough and you need to go, you need to be um, already at that understanding. This is like, have it prepared, right? In your mind. And if you're the other person, sorry to interrupt you, but I'm just thinking, and if you're the other person and somebody says mountain, for example, be respectful enough to not interrupt that. Let them go. Exactly. Let it go. And cause here's, here's the thing I would say too. I always love this boundary that if you're really upset with me, we give each other a big hug. We enter, we do a pattern interrupt and it's hug time. And it's gotta be one of those 30 second heart to heart, rhythmically beating together type hugs. And that could, and that's not easy. No, not when you're upset. Not when you're upset. So here, don't squeeze too hard, Peter. Pardon? Don't squeeze too hard. Very gentle and loving, right? Yeah, I hear what you're saying now. One thing I'd like to offer too is skills. So I do this in my three-hour workshop on administering the passion test. I do a thing called nature's guidance system. What I've done is modify it a bit without giving all the secrets away from Janet Braywood and Chris Atwood, the, the author of the passion test. But we... We do a grid in our thing, but I would actually just list them. So I'm not, you know, taking their whole idea and running with it. Is I would go over all the mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional things you can do, behavioral things you could do for your skills and your tools. So for instance, ahead of time, you might sit with your partner and say, your, your spouse, for instance, or your kid, what are all the physical things we could do if we ever get in a controversy and it could be a list of 15 things so it's not like one thing you're gonna you're gonna have that arsenal you're gonna have that tool belt of all the things you could do physically i remember one time getting into it, my wife and i opened up the door to leave the house and mother nature hit me in the face and i was able to turn around and be calm all of a sudden it took just mother nature saying pete snap out of it because we just need a pattern interrupt of our thoughts sometimes to get us back on track. And another thing is you want to get away from the shallow breathing. So you want to do deep breaths in through the nose, out through the mouth. I'll give you a funny, funny story. My mom who in 97, when I first got married, was doing a candle at the mass. 
and she started walking towards me. She was very brittle at the time. And I just started welling up with tears. My best man, my brother goes, Peter, take a deep breath. So I took a deep breath and it kept me from crying more. So you got to do that when you're upset. You got to take deep breaths because what happens is you go right into shallow breathing. You're not getting enough oxygen to your brain. And then you can start getting unsettled too much where there's too much conflict and then things could get bad. Uh, and then the other thing is know that you're going to get back to that loving way of things again once you work through the process. Use your tools. Take your deep breaths. After you set your boundaries, do this and that. And then the next thing you know, it could be an hour later, two hours later, the next day. But you remember, don't ever go to bed angry, right? But wake up the next day and you're what doing what? You're back talking like champions again, loving each other. Because if you don't have a great relationship, you will if you just set boundaries and you listen well to each other. And in no way are you saying, you know, don't talk about it. You're saying use the tools that you have, go through the processes, decide on which ones you're going to use, like out of those 15 at the time. You may use different ones at different times, depending on what you need. And you're saying don't go to bed angry and wake up and everything, you know. But in that, in between that time, you can't just, you do need to work things out. You know, there's also that side too, right? right. But I love what you're saying because when we started this interview, you talked about how you were bullied and how there was some physical abuse and stuff growing up. And the things that you're teaching now can really prevent this. Yes. It can prevent relationships that fall apart between parents and adult uh, parents and children. Um, It can help bullies. Because, you know, people bully because they're hurting, right? It's like what you said, hurt people, you know, hurt people, right? So I really appreciate, Peter, you coming on and giving us not only the examples, but, you know, some of the strategies that, that work. Because I honestly do think if we implement some of those, those are things we can do right away. You know, you don't need to take a three-month course to learn how to do three, four of the things you just explained. You know, you can make that change right away. You just, what stops us sometimes is the willingness to to start. You know, oh, I don't have time. This is just, you know, you do have time. Because if you can prevent these horrible memories and this abuse within your home or, you know, being so angry that you take it out, um, you know, and that you can, you know, you're so angry that you black out or that you start bullying other people because of all of your hurt feelings and stuff. Wow, what a new world this could be, right? That concludes part one of my interview with Peter Birkin. Tune in this Thursday for part two. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe or leave a review. See you next week on the Giving Starts With You podcast.